Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Jessica Cording is a registered dietitian, health coach, and writer with a passion for helping people streamline their wellness routine and establish a balanced relationship with food and exercise. She received her Master's of Science in Clinical Nutrition from NYU and a dietetic internship at New York Presbyterian Hospital. She's just out with her must-read book, The Little Book of Game Changers, 50 Healthy Habits for Managing Stress and Anxiety. It offers hacks that can help you reach your goals, even when life becomes hectic. And today we're going to cover everything from foods to enjoy, foods to avoid, alcohol, and all things nutrition you can think of. Jess, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. So great to see you, and congrats on your new book. Thank you so much. So... Why the book? Why a little book of game changers? Give us the why. Yeah, well, I found in my work as an RD, because I've been a dietitian, um, been in this world for 10 years now, and I was finding that people, there's a lot of information out there about what is and is not healthy, but I was finding that people really struggled with how to stay consistent with healthy habits when they felt really stressed or anxious or like they had no time or money and um, you know, I got the idea for the book, um, I guess it was uh, 2017. I was, uh, at that time, I was doing corporate wellness counseling uh, one day a week at a at this particular, um, at a television station. And I remember I had this one, um, one patient in particular and uh, would always say, oh, that thing was a game changer. This, this thing was a game changer. And the phrase just stuck in my head. And um, I was thinking about things I'd heard from other clients and patients and um, again, this game changer kept coming up. So I'm riding the subway and I think, I'm thinking, hmm, what if I just made a little book of game changers? And that was how the idea came about. I, oh, I love it. Little things add up. They really do. And I think uh, a lot of times in our food wellness culture, I think there's this idea out there that we need to do something drastic to make a change. And I really wanted to show people that tiny shifts can really make a huge difference. I love it. And so one of the, if we go through the book, what I, I, you start with the mind. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was something in there I thought was really unique and interesting. And I, I had to chuckle, but I was like, oh, that totally makes sense. The power of changing passwords. Yes. <laughs> um, there's a lot of, you know, I wanted to include a lot of mindset stuff in the book because I find that when I'm working with clients and honestly in my own life, it's all about that mind, body, spirit uh, balance. And uh, words are really powerful. And especially the stuff that we uh, tell ourselves every day, the things that we read every day, um, that can really impact our mindset without us sometimes even realizing it. And um, this was a, a tip that I, um, I don't even remember where I heard it. This is probably every, like going way back to the law of attraction stuff that my mom introduced me to in high school. Um, but this idea that thoughts become things and what, you know, what words do you see and think and internalize uh, more than the passwords you use day to day in all your different tech um, sources and things? And I actually encourage things like changing your passwords to reflect something positive or a state of being that you want to feel. So I've, I have a whole chapter in there about, again, the power of thoughts having really, you know, can actually manifest as actual things. And starting with changing your passwords to stuff to reflect your goals is really powerful. Well, from a personal security standpoint, too, so many of us 
I think, lean on things in the past, which I've read numerous, like it's a big thing now online with changing passwords. There are all these great tools you can have. And for security reasons, like you shouldn't put, you shouldn't choose passwords that are easily identifiable. identifiable. So it's actually really smart and prudent to choose a password it's something in the future that you're looking forward to. I'm like, oh, this is super practical too. It's cool. And you can keep the hackers away. Yes. <laughs> and then you have to update it periodically. <laughs> make sure. Well, once you met, you know, once you're working in the law of attraction, then you you realize the password, then you can move on to the next password. Exactly. So something you also talk about uh, hanger management. Yes. I love it. Hanger. Uh, hungry and angry. <laughs> Um, yeah, I needed hanger management when I was a new dietitian in the hospital because I was not prepared for how on your feet you are all day long. And that same like oatmeal breakfast that maybe worked when I was, you know, a more not as active grad student did not carry me through till lunchtime. And I was finding, um, you know, that I needed to practice what I preached even more so in terms of uh, it's really all about blood sugar management. So when I say hanger management, it's really um, a more casual way of saying keeping your blood sugar in a state of balance so that you feel stable, energized, and that it allows you to feel more focused and calm. Um, so for example, when we eat carbohydrate, that raises our blood sugar. But if we don't have any fat or protein or fiber to slow that digestive process and buffer that breakdown of the starches into sugar, you're going to get a quick spike and then a really sharp energy crash. So um, basically, hanger management is making sure that you are having a balance of protein, fat, and carbohydrate and fiber at your meals to ensure that you don't crash and become hangry and irritable and unpleasant to be around. So you mentioned irritable and crashing. It, it makes me think about the relationship between food and mood and food and stress. What's going on there? What can we do better? Oh my gosh. I mean, I think that when it comes to stress, I think we need to reframe the way we think about stress eating. Um, in our culture, stress eating has a negative connotation because it's this idea of you're reaching for unhealthy foods when you're stressed out. Um, and there's actually a physio physiological reason that that's happening. You know, research has shown that when we're stressed out, there's all these different changes in our hormone levels, and that can impact, um, for example, even uh, studies have shown that our tastes even are altered slightly when we're in a state of stress. But I think that paying attention to uh, what's going on in the body when we're stressed out. So for example, um, that, that fight or flight we always talk about, um, it's not just a fancy word for things like stuff is happening in your cells. And one really, um, and I, you know, we talk a lot about the stress hormone cortisol, mm -hmm. you know, it, um, when we, when we have more chronic stress, you know, that causes a state of inflammation in the body um, and making sure that we are working to counteract that stress or in the, in the, on a cellular level is very important. So some of the foods that I recommend that people turn to when they want to help offset the effects of stress and feel better equipped to respond to stressors. So you do come back to that blood sugar management because if you are all over the place, um, it's going to be much harder to respond in a calm manner and be in that mindset of, well, okay, what can I do in this situation? But uh, some of the foods that I recommend, um, omega-3 fatty acids, especially DHA, EPA, um, there's been a lot of research showing that they can help offset the effects of cortisol. So definitely keeping stuff on the menu like fatty fish, uh, 
you know, eggs, if you are eating meat, meat um, grass-fed beef occasionally. Also, um, but also incorporating the plant sources of omega-3s. It may not be as uh, pronounced an effect, but making sure that you're getting some in that way. So, you know, flax, chia seeds, walnuts, all that good stuff. Uh, you also want to make sure that um, you're incorporating lots of antioxidant-rich foods. So some of my favorites are berries, especially, you know, they have a lot of different compounds, like the anthocyanins, for example, that give them that beautiful color. Um, also really powerful antioxidant properties. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, nature is really smart. <laughs> um, and you also want to pay attention uh, to gut health. So I, I think that the gut-brain connection is fascinating. Um, you know, the fact that we have this like second nervous system, second brain, so to speak, you know, in our gut, the enteric nervous system, you know, that in the, in our brain that they talk to each other. And so when you're nourishing your gut, that helps promote clear gut brain communication and also helps you respond more effectively to stress. So, you know, probiotic rich foods, um, also incorporating plenty of fiber, uh, prebiotic rich foods. I'm glad that that's finally a thing that's mm-hmm. in like the mainstream media. Um, you know, making sure you're having a, a combination of those to help nourish that gut microbiome. What are um, some of your favorites? I'm curious. Oh, see, I feel like sometimes the last dietitian who eats dairy, <laughs> but I love yogurt's like a food group to me. Um, I love plain whole milk <laughs> yogurt. Um, but when you add, um, you know, some kind of pro- prebiotic-rich food to something with probiotics. So that might be if you're doing your yogurt, you add like a banana and you're getting the benefits of that resistant starch. Or you can add, um, you know, some uh, like apple or if you're doing something savory, um, you're having sauerkraut in a dish that maybe has like leeks and onions and garlic. I love that you love bananas. I'm a banana fan. Oh, I get this. So many people think bananas are like evil. They're higher in sugar. But, yeah. But I, I put a banana in. I love bananas. It's about context, yeah. balance. <laughs> I agree. And so how do you, what do you recommend to people? Find, like when we talk about food and stress and being hangry and guilt, it can be a vicious cycle. Yeah. How, what do you recommend to people struggle with that, specifically around, you know, this time of the day, three o'clock? I feel like it hits people in the afternoon yes. as I sip my black coffee. Oh my gosh. I know for me, getting my coffee down from 800 milligrams to two, that was like a two, three year process. Wow. Um, I'm a lot bigger than you, so I can drink more. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I was, yeah, coffee. Oh goodness. Um, but yeah, this comes up a lot. There's a lot of shame around food. And I think people are conditioned to immediately want to fight their food cravings. And I, I find that really interesting because our body's really smart. And I've really feel that food cravings are our brain and body's way of telling us something that we need. I use this example a lot, but... Um, I like that. Well, think about it's a, it. It's a nice yeah. way of reframing it. Well, why don't we get... Instead of getting critical about our food cravings, what if we got curious about them? So I work on that a lot with people, encouraging them to be curious about the messages that their body's sending them. So what does that look like in the... Like if, okay, why am I wanting that pint of ice cream or piece of cake right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you use those examples because um, <laughs> I, I love those examples. Um, there are things I might be wanting at the moment. Yeah, well, if you think about it this way, so those, you know, I mean, one I would ask, is there a nutrient in that particular food or is there a certain 
quality about that food that appeals if it's like a taste or a texture like that's some clues there but often if someone is talking about a craving for sweets um, (laughs) I might two things I usually ask about one like what their energy is like because you know carbohydrates very efficient quick hit of sugar to give you a quick energy boost Um, but on an emotional level and I find that this comes up for a lot of people and this is I think part of why it's so difficult to talk about or why it's so uncomfortable to talk about Um, I think there's also an element of an emotional craving. You know, you think about ice cream, for example. You know, a lot of us associate ice cream, you know, with carefree summer days when we were a kid. And as an adult, when we're having a stressful day or we just have all these responsibilities and things on our mind, like the idea of just like enjoying ice cream, you know, is very appealing. But we're not necessarily conditioned to be in touch with like all parts of that story. We just hear, you know, ice cream craving. Oh, that's bad. I need to quiet that. But so I, you know, I encourage my, my clients, if someone, if you are noticing you're having a craving for, let's say it was ice cream, really just give yourself a minute to think about, you know, what you're craving, if there's a more an emotional craving involved, and then what else might help you feel the way that you need to feel or that you want to feel in that moment. And also too, you know, are you craving it every day? at the same time or is it yeah. you know a once a week thing or twice a week like there's there's a difference absolutely and i think it's also what what i say is it's about being mindful about it and, and, and appreciating it it's exactly what you're saying and understanding it and say like you know what i'm gonna have ice cream i'm gonna make sure the ice cream's amazing yes <laughs> i'm not just gonna get the crappy ice cream that i find at the deli like i'm gonna have an amazing ice cream i'm gonna enjoy it oh my gosh yeah that's as an rd like people often assume i don't eat certain things and like I, I'm sorry life is way too short I 100% agree so you are also a fan of fat yes but all fats are not created equal right so what are some of your favorites oh man I um you know when my when my dad was sick with pancreatic cancer I was super stressed out um and found myself with these cr- insane cravings suddenly for um sardines mm. packed in olive oil I like wanted to eat it every single day. And I was, I think part of it was, I think my body on some level was craving those omega threes to give Mm -hmm. me a little boost with the cortisol. But I I love olive oil. I love, um, I mean, I'm Italian and Greek, so olive oil is like my blood. But, um, you know, I, I also cook a lot with avocado oil. The reason I love avocado oil and olive oil, um, both are really rich sources of heart healthy monounsaturated fats. So um, a lot we hear those words a lot, but we don't always know what they mean. Sure. But the monounsaturated, they help um, decrease the LDL, the bad cholesterol, and they help raise HDL, the good cholesterol. So doing yourself a lot of favors there. Um, and actually, olive oil, I also love. You know, this this idea for a long time that it's not safe for lots of cooking, but there's actually been some some research done over the last um, couple of years looking at um, different markers of quality in oil and you know, does smoke point matter. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, it's been shown that olive oil is pretty safe to for pretty much all different cooking methods. Oh wow! So even extra virgin olive oil. So um, that made me feel much better about the fact that I've been using it for everything my entire life. Um, so those are those are my favorites. I know that um, I also love ghee. I that's one thing that I probably use um, several times a week as well. How do you use ghee? Um, I lick it off the spoon. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I uh, 
You know, I, I use it for cooking sure. a lot. Um, it's great for sauteing vegetables. Um, you can use it in, um, it's really lovely with, if you're doing like a, like this time of year, like sauteed like apples or pears, mm. or if you want to uh, doing something that you'd normally use butter for. Um, but that said, yeah, I do sometimes just take a little spoonful and do you just ever eat do, it. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and do you, do you ever do, as I sip my coffee and you mentioning oils, I thought of, do you ever do ghee and coffee or, and your take on MCT oil as well? You know, I, I do some, I've tried the ghee and the coffee, but I like my coffee black. Yeah. So I just can't, can't make that leap. The mouthfeel is just not what I want in coffee. Um, you know, it's funny, MCT oil, I get this question um, not infrequently. I first became familiar with it working in clinical, and it was um, something that we studied as um, a type of fat to use in different, um, you know, for different medical conditions, or if you needed to do a special formulation for um, tube feed formulas for certain um, conditions. So it's been interesting to me to see it become this, like, uh, you know, a hashtag, like, healthy living thing. Um, I think, you know, I think that we, I would like to see more research and just find out a little bit more about um, whether it really is, you know, all that it's cracked up to be in the media. Um, I do tend to be a little bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit, you know, more more conservative or like I like to kind of sit back and watch and gather information sure. before I jump on the bandwagon with with things. Obviously, uh, you can see like olive oil and avocado sure. oil and been on board the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're talking about coffee, which leads me to breakfast. Mm-hmm. Intermittent fasting, fan. Do you have to eat bre- What's your take on breakfast and fasting? I think it's very individual. I think it's what's what's tricky for me. You know, I do work with a lot of people who have a very um, problematic relationship with food. And I have found in practice... Um, intermittent fasting for some people can be a really dangerous um, entry point or re-entry point mm-hmm. for disordered eating. But I think it's also important to look at the fact that a lot of the research that's done, and I, I, I'm not disqualifying some of the findings that the research has shown you know, for um, intermittent fasting, but a lot of that research is um, done in men and postmenopausal women. And yet, you know, the media is sharing these headlines with, you know, a lot of the consumers of this media are women of, you know, reproductive age. And, but that's not explained like, oh, well, this was a study done in men and may or may not really apply to you at all points in your menstrual cycle. So I think we do need to be conscious of understanding what populations research is Mm -hmm. done in and, and also, you know, how something is studied in a controlled research setting. It's also very different from real life. So I think that when it comes to intermittent fasting, I think that it really, you know, you need to really ask yourself about what your day-to-day schedule is like, your yeah. energy patterns, and really take all of those things into account um, when you're deciding whether to, to try it or not. 100% agree, and it's something we've talked about. You know, I'm the, I'm the only man at home with Colleen <laughs> and our two daughters, and men and, wired are, men and women are wired differently. Yep. And especially with, with food and I, I'm a fan it works for me but like 100% it is not for everyone and it has definitely come up in conversation that it, it's not it's very different with women and how what's happening in our bodies and 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 everything and it's I'm glad we're talking about it because I think it's an important subject <clears throat> and I think it's just 
IF is just like, wow, it's huge. Everyone needs to do this. And it's not, it's, there's some pitfalls there. Yeah. Yeah. Proceed with caution. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so we'll go to the end of the day. Sleep. How can we eat for sleep? Oh my gosh, this is one of my favorite topics. Uh, probably because I struggled so much with insomnia when I was younger, and I just wish that I had known a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, it's it's not that far off from some of the stuff around food and mood, because again, a lot of the neurotransmitters that regulate our mood also play a role in our sleep. So, for example, I will often, um, you know, I often recommend, uh, you know, serotonin actually plays a role in our sleep. So you do want to make sure that, um, you know, that's a great time of day to incorporate um, maybe like a complex carbohydrate, like potatoes at dinner. That's right. I said potatoes. Oh I know with God, the MBG guys, community, potatoes, it's like allowed. Potatoes, but, sweet potatoes. Are they sweet potatoes? Can we, do, can we say that on air? Uh, even better, purple so, sweet potatoes. Purple sweet potatoes. Um, no, but, you know, so complex carbohydrate, um, they help our body produce serotonin. So I often, when someone's craving carbs, I often will ask about their mood and kind of, you know, that's also a hint for me, like what's going on with your emotional health. Um, so a carbohydrates, so like potatoes, um, whole grains, that could be the, a complex carb in the form of like, if you want to do like berries as a dessert mm-hmm. or something. Um, but then there's also uh, tryptophan is a precursor to serotonin. So, you know, this is an amino acid. Like we hear about it in Turkey. That sure. gets all the airtime. Everyone talks about it in Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, but it's in pretty much like all animal mm. proteins. So that could include like poultry, fish, meat, dairy, eggs. But you also are going to find it in some plant foods too. Hmm. What are your favorite plant food sources for? Um, don't tell Dr. Country, but um, chickpeas. <laughs> chickpeas oh. are a great source. He'll understand. Yeah. Um, you know, like so hummus would be a great yeah. bedtime snack or something to have at dinner. Um, I love to make deconstructed falafel bowls with like crispy roasted chickpeas Ooh. and cauliflower and yeah, delicious. Um, or you could do something like um, like yogurt is also a nice bedtime snack. And actually oats are another plant source of tryptophan. So I've had clients who've done really well with having like a small bowl of oats with like a spoonful of nut butter. You need to reverse the breakfast, breakfast for dinner. I found that for me, that was what I needed to do. But yeah, like I'm a big fan of breakfast for dinner. Um, I have another question. So I don't eat a lot of red meat anymore at all. But when I do, sometimes I have trouble going to sleep. So is that just me because I'm not used to red meat anymore? Or is there something that's in red meat that maybe makes me a little bit more alert? Yeah, well, there is... um, I mean, I will say that when you do cut something out of your diet or cut way back on it, you know, you do become more sensitive. But it, red meat is generally trickier in that it's harder to digest. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people, for example, who have um, acid reflux, um, red meat seems to be triggering for that as well. Again, because it's just a, a lot more difficult for the body to break it down. So I often will recommend that if someone is having red meat, you know, maybe not within an hour of sleep right? and having a smaller portion. What about on the subject of sleep, alcohol? Yeah, alcohol is, it's like, it's funny because you hear about like, you know, a nightcap or like a hot toddy to like fall asleep. But what happens is alcohol, it kind of like, it makes you like skip ahead in your sleep cycle and you end up like skipping like, and uh, like some of the, the REM cycle and waking up in the middle of it kind of um so it helps sometimes it'll like knock you out but then you wake up 
really alert, like in the middle of the night, because mm-hmm. it's, you know, I always joke that alcohol is a really like selfish nutrient because it kind of jumps to the front of the pathway and it's like, metabolize <laughs> me first. And um, that that's one of the ways that it shows up, like how we, um, our body is like working on that alcohol and then, but then boom, you wake up in the middle of the night, like wide awake with a headache. If you're going to have a drink, are there certain types of alcohol you think are better choices than others or? This is such a, I love this question because it's, again, it's so individual. I, I'm a whiskey drinker. Um, I, I love a good bourbon or rye, um, you know, but for me, what I love about it is I can sip it, I can enjoy it. There's so much flavor and I'm going to be satisfied with that. Um, you know, I, I will never drink vodka again because of college, <laughs> but, um, it's like me and gin. I haven't, I haven't drank gin since oh. 1991. <laughs> See, and I, I love gin because there's so many flavors going on, but with alcohol, you know, I mean, there's all this amazing research about different polyphenols and red wine. Sure. And I know there's a lot out there about, you know, tequila, is it a clean alcohol? And there's, you know, on some level, on a cardiovascular level, let's say there are noted benefits to pretty much all types of ethanol. But uh, I think what we need to be mindful of is the portion of alcohol that sure. we're having. You know, current recommendations <clears throat> up to two per day for men, one per day for women. Um, that's either 12 ounces of beer, five ounces of wine, or about an ounce to an ounce and a half of distilled spirits. Um, but I really, what I tell my clients is that when it comes to alcohol, you should really pick the thing you love most and will be the most satisfied with so that you don't feel like you have to have more drinks to hit that sweet spot. That's such like a good rule for any indulgence, if you think about it, right? Yeah. It's like pick like if you're gonna have like we were talking earlier about the Upper West Side. I was like, oh, Levain Bakery, my favorite gluten free cookie. Like if I'm gonna have a, an awesome cook, like that's gonna be the, it's gonna be amazing. Like you just make it count. Yeah, it's like about having that good experience. Yeah. And so something else you touch on the book in the spirit section, which I think is so important because there's a bit of an epidemic right now, is loneliness. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I actually have a whole chapter in the book about having a loneliness game plan. Um, this was actually, you know, this started uh, way back in, let's uh, go in the way, way back machine, probably like 2005 or six. I was in college and I was living um, living off campus. I was working that summer and taking night classes and I didn't, like, I didn't really know anybody around and like a lot of my friends weren't around and I would just, one day I was just, uh, feeling so antsy and lonely I literally made a list of things to do when I felt lonely (laughs) like and I I, the only one I remember is go to the library or like go for a walk and like to this day if I'm having um a day where I'm feeling a little like down the dumps or kind of lonely like one of the things I have found works for me is to have an errand but like make it a, a walk with a destination just to get outside and clear my head but um I I just I found that with my clients I mean, and all of us have our coping mechanisms, and um, some of them are healthy, some of them are not so healthy. Um, you know, I know my own life, um, cleaning when I feel lonely, is that's a healthy coping mechanism. Marie Kondo would be proud. Oh my gosh, it's so therapeutic. <laughs> but you know, like uh, online shopping, like not so Instagram? beneficial. Oh my gosh, like <laughs> it's, yeah, and we all have those things that we turn to. And, but what I, and I think social media is tricky because it's, it's social media, quote unquote, but it makes us feel more isolated sometimes. And especially if we play the comparison game. But I was finding with my clients that loneliness was a huge trigger for things like emotional eating. And so I, as an experiment a number of years ago, I was like, okay, so I've used my own loneliness game plan with some of my clients to see if it would help them. 
And um, I was like, you know, come up with two or three things that you can do when you feel lonely that are not eating and, you know, try them, just see what happens. And it was really cool to see that, you know, having that little like list, whether it was a physical list, a mental list of things that they could do when they felt lonely to kind of redirect their energy away from like, oh, I should eat something um, was really, really helpful. And there's also stuff in that chapter about just some tips. Um, I interviewed um, my friend Emily Morell. She's the founder of a, a company called Six Degrees Society. They do um, amazing curated networking events. And she's just like a super connector. She's amazing. But I actually interviewed her about how somebody can grow their network and connect with people if they've moved or they just don't really know anybody or they don't know where to start. And she offers some really great tips for, for that. I love that. You can't, you know, at the end of the day, it's also so much easier to make good choices when you're connected to other people yes. who make good choices. And I think loneliness can often, and I've seen it, you start to go down a path that's unhealthy. Yeah. And so to, to close, any advice out there for someone who's listening who's maybe overwhelmed? There's just so much wellness information out there, which is, you know, good, but also can be overwhelming for someone who's like, I don't know what to do. You know, you mentioned, you know, we're talking about chickpeas and lectins yeah. and gundry. It's like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. I can eat this. I can't eat that. But like any advice for, for anyone who's listening is looking to just get started and simplify a bit. Yeah. I would say first step, get clear on what your goal is, whether that's a physical thing, an emotional thing. Um, there's something you want clarity on. I think the number one place to start is just get clear on what your goal is big picture goal small picture goal but I think that once you are clear on on that then you have the power to think of one tiny step you can take in that direction I love it know what you want know what the real goal is and I think that tells you a lot too yeah. like what are the what are the real reasons behind the why amen to that Jess Gording thanks so much little book of game changers check it out guys thank you Thanks for having me.